and welcome back to a brand new year at Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks. I am kicking off 2022 for you with an absolute teacher superstar. Joining me for episode eight is Tom Riley, an amazing science teacher, a well-being expert, and all-around lovely human being. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the chat. It was like, just hop on and off you go. Very clever. That's it. That's it. I thought you could probably do with a bit of a break from uh, Zoom screens as well. You're probably yes. over that one. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't sure. If, I, I would have stayed. I would have put my pyjamas on if I'd known. I'm <laughs> I mean, go ahead if you want to get your pyjamas no, on. <laughs> no, no. I've, I've found a comfy spot now. I'm good to go. Are you teaching from home or are you still? Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't teach a lot, to be honest. So I have to be. Okay. Know, I'm, fairly fortunate in that way um but yeah my wife's a teacher as well so we've been um both being from home and we've got a little daughter but she's been at daycare until this week so um yeah that's been achievable but this week will be a bit of a nightmare but we've only got two weeks left uh, and then we'll oh good yeah that's exciting whereabouts are you moving to uh well we're not sure yet we've got to buy a house um but oh. we're, we're moving to uh i'm going to pinball ladies college i'm gonna be the head of oh office. lovely yeah oh that's that's, that's super exciting yeah yeah, yeah we're really good Very. so yeah yeah so you start there in yeah you start there in term four yes yeah so, <gasps> wow yeah. congratulations thank you yeah it's a bit strange like moving mid-year and moving in a lockdown and all those kind of yeah. things. Yeah, we've got family in Sydney, so we'll stay with them for a bit, given that it's the lockdown. Oh, we might as well anyway, get some yeah. grandparents help. Yeah, yeah, might as well. Oh, that's great. Oh, I bet you're really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, in a weird way. I'm not looking forward to, like, not being able to go five kilometres beyond the front mm. doorstep. Because um, here, I mean, it's probably a bit, you know, like... In Orange, it doesn't. I don't think it feels quite the same as it would in Sydney because you just mm-hmm. don't have the population. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, but um, you're yeah. from Sydney, aren't you? No, I grew up in England actually. Oh, did you? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, whereabouts? Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Bristol, and then yeah, uh, moved to London um, and went to boarding school um, for like A levels. Yeah. Right. Okay. I grew up yeah, in Essex. So. Yeah, well, I can tell that you're from the UK. Yeah. <laughs> I've been really trying to lose the accent for the past 10 years, but it follows me around, I swear. <laughs> well, mine just disappeared. So, on the other hand, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I grew up in, I never had a Bristolian accent, but um, lived there for 16 years and then moved to London. And then I did a year at university at Birmingham and, and then I transferred to Australia. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you've been here for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So, so you did all your teacher training here, did you? Yeah. Yeah, I did. But oh. I came from a family of teachers in the UK. So um, I've yeah. sort of got a fair fair grasp on the UK. <laughs> um, yeah. Not that I think you teaching there. You, get, you have to work harder for less money. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, uh, I'm quite happy to train in Australia. Fab. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, your school week to jump on with me. Um, it's an absolute honour to have you. Um, do you want to just start by perhaps just giving us a bit of an overview of your uh, your teaching career, your teacher journey, and kind of how you got to where you are now? Yeah, yeah. I um, 
So I, uh, I it's actually a gap student when I initially came over from the UK, uh, and I was very lucky. I landed a job at the King School in Sydney, um, and I got there for a little bit, uh, not very long, and then I asked them if I could stay on uh, and work in the boarding houses and coach sport and tutor kids uh, while I studied. Uh, so I did that throughout university, and then just at the end of university, um, I asked the principal at the time if he'd be a referee for me and uh, he called me up to his office uh, and offered me a job, um, which really blew me away. Uh, So I, uh, yeah, I taught there um, and I was very lucky. They just built this amazing new science centre and I got to uh, help lead um, a program where sort of science researchers were working with the kids Um, and I did that for a few years, yeah. And then um, I decided to leave because I'd done all boys education for a long period of time uh, and I fancied teaching girls before, um, I suppose, you get pigeonholed and, you know, people say you can only teach boys. Uh, So I I left and I went to um, MLC uh, as their, um, like, assistant head of science Um, and I spent a bit of that year as acting head of science Uh, and then um, out of the blue got a call from... Um, the previous deputy who had been at King's, uh, who was the new principal out in um, in Orange and at Kinross Water School, and he said uh, there was a job going um, for my wife and myself um, and it was all about uh, contextual learning, which linked nicely to that science project I'd done at King's before and um, we talked about it a little bit more and, and, you know, and then, yeah, before I knew it, we were up here. Um, and we both moved uh, and made the move and and were loving it. Uh, and I set up um, what was <clears throat> originally I was employed to set up what was called the School of Agribusiness, um, but we actually mm-hmm. changed it um, and it became known as the, the Regional Engagement Enterprise um, or TREE, as it was called. Yeah. And I did that for three years uh, and... And then I decided to step into the wellbeing space and I've been head of student wellbeing for two years. So, yeah, a bit, bit fortuitous, I suppose. Um, yeah. You know, opportunities have come up and I've just thought, yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, lots of opportunities there. So have you got a preference in terms of whether you prefer teaching boys or girls or co-ed or any particular year group at the moment? Um Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm, I'm about to go to a girls' school, so it would be interesting if anyone... <laughs> Um, this, I, think I, I think I would find it hard to go back to all boys um, because I really think there's something special about teaching young women and I think there's a real opportunity um, to empower young women through through education where um, perhaps you don't need to do that as much for boys. I mean, I'm sure um, for, for disadvantaged communities, um, but I, I suppose I've been very provisioned in a way in, in which the families that I've taught um, in my career, um, haven't necessarily fit into that category. Uh, yeah. But um, I think they've all got a different role to play and I think different students suit different environments. Um, and I th- I'd be concerned about sort of signing up to, you know, one size fits all because for some boys, all boys is great. I think there's a real um, advantage to socialising um, through co-educational yeah. schools. Um, but then in all girls schools, I think that they're slightly um, safer environments. That doesn't mean that they're safe, you know, schools that aim to be safe. Um, it just mm-hmm. means that I suppose 
there's a safer environment in which to encourage risk taking, which I think is particularly important for girls um, to, to you know to push push them so that when they graduate, um, they're ready to take on the challenges of um, the world, which we know is not even. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now you've got a little girl now. Has being a dad changed the way you teach at all? It, I think it's made me a lot more understanding um, of parents. Uh, and that's probably mm. more in my day job as head of student wellbeing because I often deal with um, families where, you know, this this real challenges for the child, whether that be behavioural or whether there might be some mental health challenges um, or there may be some trauma that the family's experienced. And I think um, understanding the love that you have as a parent um, mm. and why sometimes parents um, can't see the other side or perhaps are behaving slightly irrationally or um, being particularly over-supportive of their children. Um, yeah. I think that's probably made me a bit more understanding and a little bit more patient. Uh, but, I mean, you know, I'm only two years in. Um, you know, you watch people that have got teenage children and they've got to <laughs> yeah. do different things. But I think it's it's probably opened my eyes up. Um, but I, I'm careful because then... There's sort of an implication there that if you don't have children, you can't you can't learn those lessons. I think that's just for me. Um, that's probably I'm, you know I haven't always been the most patient person. I'm quite energetic and want to get things done, and and perhaps um, I needed that experience to open my eyes up. That's awesome. Um, I'm really excited for you in terms of where this new job goes and um, all of the the new experiences it's going to bring you as well, especially at PLC. That's that's super exciting. Yeah, no, we, I'm really excited. You know, it's only a few weeks yeah. to go, and we've sort yeah. of started handover and things like that. But um, I'm wow. not looking forward to starting remotely. Um, but it will be no. a story later on. So everyone's um, <laughs> in the same boat. So. Um, but yeah, they've been yeah. so friendly, and yeah, just looking forward to ripping in and and learning. And I think it's—I've never worked in a school of that size, so um, yeah, it's yeah. treating the kids in each year group. So wow, um, it'll be a good challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be pretty intense. Wow. Yeah, um, in terms of in terms of working with parents at the different schools that you've been at, have you noticed a um, a particular difference in the way that in the way that you can relate to those parents in say um uh in a boys school how they um how they can relate towards you um in a ag focus school and i guess um in any other positions that you've been in have you noticed how whether or how parents can be different towards the teachers uh yeah i think more so moving to regional setting um, mm. You can't go anywhere when you live in a regional town without um, knowing someone, um, whether yeah. that be go for a coffee, you go to a, a doctor's appointment and you're being treated by a parent um, <laughs> or, you know, and it's, you know, it's quite embarrassing, but you've got to get on with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I suppose that um, sense of community I hadn't seen. I mean, I, you know, when I worked in Sydney, yes, there was a sense of community but you have anonymity when you go home, whereas mm. when you live in a town like this and and then, you know, we cast for a lot of borders um, from Orange, basically west to here, um, anywhere you go, you're going to bump into someone you know, and I've seen that increase incrementally over the last five years, so to the point where now I could go into town and there would be absolutely no chance that we'd, we would 
we would walk into town and back without bumping into someone you know. Um, yeah. And I think for parents that has made it easier to relate um, but then there's the challenge of it becoming too convivial as well and that mm-hmm. everyone knows the school business or everyone wants to talk about the school business as well. Um, so it's a delicate balancing act but I definitely feel in a regional I would encourage anyone to teach in regional Australia um, because you you get a real sense of the the power of relationships um, and the sense of that that community and I've seen that in Sydney more in boarding schools mm-hmm. um, and I think the challenge is in a day school to make it um, feel like a really strong community and that's actually one of the things that attracts me to Pimble um, is, is is that they're a school that's really um, I suppose trying to bring together the sense that this is a massive family um, and once you've joined it you know you're, you're a pimple girl for life um, so yeah I, I, I think I don't know if there's any difference in gender-based schools that I've seen but definitely between metropolitan and regional schools I've noticed the difference. Yeah well, I can tell you're excited to get your pimple girls for life badge um, yeah. and maybe we can get that on the Instagram as well once you've got it. <laughs> Yeah, sounds good. I don't know if they <laughs> allow me into the the, 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 the comfort. Of, yeah. um, now I met you a couple of years ago when you um, when you were deep in the ag space um, in the tree program for Kimros Walleroy, um, and I was absolutely blown away at the the program and the um, the types of things that you guys were doing up there. But just aside from that, is there a particular theme or topic that you most enjoy teaching? I was um, having a think about this. Well, biology is my area of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I well, I, I was laughing because I love this one practical I do for year eight, which is called making poo, um, which brilliant. someone taught me when I was <laughs> yeah. in And it just is brilliant. It's on YouTube, but you just model all the different digestive stations. Um, but I guess for me, favourite part um, of teaching would be anything to do with human physiology because that's sort of where my undergraduate was and I don't, I don't feel like it sits in any specific subject in Australia. You know, there's a little bit of chemistry, there's a little bit of biology, you know, you could do it in sports science, um, but it's not necessarily like written into a unit. Um, so any chance I get to, uh, to talk about it, I definitely bite their arm off. Yeah, amazing. And I think it's one of those topics as well that you can really demonstrate the magic of natural processes as well with any age group too. And they're living it every day. So I, yeah. I find that something that's really appealing to me about science is whenever kids say, oh, I don't like science, I'm like, how can you say that? Because you, <laughs> everything that you are doing all day, every day um, is about science. I think it often comes down to the way in which it's taught. Um, and it's more oh, that the kid doesn't like their science teacher or didn't like one that they've had or doesn't like what the questions they're asked, but the questions that they're asked has nothing to do with science. Um, no. you know, it has a, It's a way of assessing what they know about a particular topic. And if you can have an appreciation of the world, then you're a scientist. Yeah, totally. Um, I've always loved, I'm, I'm not a science thinker at all I was much more kind of English and language based but I had a great chemistry teacher called Mr Beaver and he sparked a real love 
awesome name. He was an absolute legend. He sparked a real love of practical science with the whole yeah. of my year group, actually. Um, and I'll always remember him for that. And I think your students will probably get the same experience with you and your poo experiment. And I feel like we need to go back to that. Um, give us a bit I'm more details. Yeah. <laughs> how, how are we making poo, Mr. Riley? So I was, I was shown it um, by a colleague, Trish, uh, MLC. And um, what, what you do is you, um, you first get a tub and you get loads of different food and you just mimic what someone might have had for breakfast. So you've got banana and you've got a piece of toast and you've got coffee grounds and you've got water and, um, and then you chop it up using scissors, which is your teeth. Um, and, and, you know, you tear the bread up suggesting like your incisors and things like that. And then you get a potato masher and you mash it up, um, and that's grinding it on your molars. And then when you've got all of that, you, um, put it into a big bag, which is simulating the stomach and you put acid in and give it a good shake around. (laughs) And then you put it in a pair of like, I don't know the appropriate term, but like pantyhose. (laughs) So like right. Yeah. And that's the that's the that's the small intestine. And so a lot of the liquid will leach out um, and you'll be left with more of the solids. And then you push all of that out into uh, a tea towel, and that's mimicking the large intestine where water's reabsorbed. And so it will reabsorb it and it looks absolutely disgusting by now. And then you pop it into a little bag, which is re- mimicking the rectum, and you cut the corner off and squeeze it out. And the kids oh, lovely. are absolutely laughing their heads off. Um, <laughs> but you'd be surprised at how well they remember the digestive tract often once you've shown yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that be. Yeah. Passed it on to a lot of science teachers and it – never it never is not enjoyed (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's uh pretty much the grossest thing i've ever heard wow it's horrendous absolutely horrendous yeah you know you've got to teach it (laughs) i love that i love it um what uh what year group does that get uh taught to age but i have pulled it out for year 11 biology as well (laughs) and it's equally enjoyed (laughs) fantastic that's awful. Okay. Um, hopefully I can find the YouTube link to that. I'll stick that on the Instagram as well. <laughs> no drama. Otherwise, I, you know, if you need it, send it to me and I'll find it. Yeah, I'll great. <laughs> Lovely. Um, what's been your gold star of the week this week? A moment that's really made you smile? Well, I was having a think about this today because I was like, oh, on a Monday. Um, but I was thinking back to last week um, and I just had a really good win with a student Um uh, I'm careful how to talk about. I've I've um, been dealing with him on the more my well-being job, but I also mm-hmm. teach him. Um, and uh, yeah, he's having a difficult time at school, um, but he's just nailing remote learning. Um, and I wrote to him on Friday, and I know that he received it and didn't write back yeah. to me, but I knew that um, just having that on a Friday afternoon, you know, saying awesome job. Um, but I checked the work for all the week um and he done a really good job and he doesn't find science easy um and that's in year 10 he's probably not going to take a science next year um so yeah that just gave me a good smile on a friday that he was doing a good job of it 
That is amazing, isn't it? And I feel like when you're when you have that close relationship with your students, whether you whether they're your kids all the way through or whether you're directly involved with their well-being, the minute you can identify something that they are amazing at and you can give them that recognition, it completely changes the way a they look at you as a um as a teacher, as a um mentor even um but also can cha- can completely change the way they look at their school experience as well it's really special yeah I, I think that's one of the real joys of being a teacher you know yes there are some negative times um mm. but every day is different every kid is different um every interaction is different every lesson you ever teach is different and that creates for a really exciting opportunity where there will be some downs but there's lots of ups and there's lots of things where you go that was great um yeah it's very satisfying um but i can't say i've ever done anything else so you know i'm not <laughs> going to say more satisfying than anything else but i certainly <laughs> yes absolutely and i don't think you'll be the only teacher to say that either <laughs> no no i hope not no. you're in the wrong no. profession if you don't enjoy working with kids <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Speaking of the profession, it can be pretty tough sometimes. um, And there are times where we really need our teams around us. So has there been someone in your career, maybe it's someone in your current team, maybe it's someone in your, uh, while you were training, who really showed that support and really kind of gave you a leg up to the teacher that you are now? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I had a number of really good mentors, um, some of which I've sort of searched for myself and I would recommend anyone to um, keep a a good network of mentors and some have been my line managers. Um, I had an amazing, um, uh, like, practicum supervisor, I guess. Yeah, I was just fortunate. The university um, paired me up with her and she was great. But the person I was um, thinking about talking today, um, he was a fellow science teacher um, at King's when I started, um, biology teacher, and he was sort of assigned as a mentor, but he just really went for it. A guy called Tim Nurkin, um, who's head of science at uh, Trinity Grammar um, now, and he um, just took me under his wing. Uh, he still calls me junior now. We're still good friends. Um, and he he just explained everything, and when I had a question, I knew I could go to him and say, how do I teach this? How does that work? And he was from the UK as well. And some of the Australian dot points, like about the platypus and some of the gum trees, and I just had (laughs) no idea. And I'm sitting there in front of really bright 18-year-olds trying to fudge my way through teaching the HSC for the first time. Uh, And he, he was just, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And we've become excellent friends. Um, but I really remember how much it meant to me to have someone who was in my corner. And I think that's something all short schools should be doing with um, newly qualified teachers. You know, they need time to plan lessons. They need time to think about their teaching. Um, but they also just need time to have incidental conversations. Um, and Tim was great for me. And uh, he's a much better scientist than I am, um, which I doubt. I doubt he'll listen to the podcast, but if he does, <laughs> that'll make him smile. But um, but he, he just really took the time to talk me through it um, and, and it made the world of difference. And to be honest, that year was where I really set up 
my resources that I just then refined year on year. And I think that that's a, a good lesson for, for new teachers to have is don't reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, work very hard at the start and then you can you know, pick and choose what needs redeveloping as you go on. Um, do you have any advice for newly qualified teachers about beginning their network? Is there particular people that you um, that you kind of looked out for or worked harder to build a relationship with? Um, well, I think in in school um, they should be. Yeah, you would hope um, that there's someone who might be in charge of professional learning. Um, uh, who might be able to point them in the direction? I don't. I really don't think it matters um, about whether someone is a teacher in your area because I think good teaching shines through, whether it be you know teaching textiles or whether it's teaching physics or um, someone who's teaching English. Yeah, you go into any classroom, you can see someone who's a really really good teacher, um, and I think you need to be able to be connected with those people so you can have conversations within, you know, whether it be over a coffee at recess or in the playground with really good teachers. Um, and then I think outside of that, like LinkedIn and Twitter is a great way to um, to find people who are right at the top of their game uh, in terms mm. of teaching. And, and then I, I, I would like to think that teaching is a sort of pay-it-forward profession um, you know, like like our conversation here, you know, we met um, at an AIS event like three years ago and yet yeah. here we are talking about teaching. It's it's sort of, you know, if you're interested in it, I genuinely believe that people will give up their time and there's been times where I've said, yeah, no problem, I'll do that or I'll call that person or, you know, if someone approached me because I think, well, someone hopefully will do that for me when I need a conversation um, to help me along the way and and I've certainly felt that myself that when I've reached out to people um, and if people don't get back to you we'll say you know it's their loss because um, any conversation both parties can grow from so I think just just encouraging new to qualified teachers not to just focus on marking and preparing lessons but actually just the, mm. the power of a strong conversation um, and asking and then also asking the kids because they'll usually tell you um, and, and you can't expect to get it all right at the start. I don't think anyone can expect to get it all right. No, no, you're right. When you say asking the kids, do you mean like direct feedback on your teaching from your students? Yeah, yeah, or, or ask yeah. them who's a really good teacher in the school. They'll be able to pick them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it won't be too far off what you think. And then ask, can I come and watch your lessons? Um you know, and that's something I don't do as much as I used to. Um, and, you know, I think everyone harbours those dreams of getting back to the classroom and teaching more. But it's sad to think that as I move up in leadership, I'm actually de-skilling myself as a teacher because I don't yeah. teach nearly as much as I'd like to. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, when someone asks me to come and watch me teach now, I'm always like, Joe's, I'm, you know, I'm probably not the person to come and watch anymore. Um because I don't teach as much as I would like to or I used to. Um, so yeah. I think that's where you can ask the kids, well, who's a really good teacher? Who's someone that you've enjoyed? And you'll get different names, but you will see some common themes um, coming through and just, uh, you know, surveying them regularly and saying what happens in a different classroom that would be beneficial in my classroom. And often they'll suggest ideas. 
Yeah, that's a great idea because often you get stuck in your own teaching style, I suppose, don't you? Especially when you're teaching the same material year after year after year and it's it's difficult to see other ways of delivering that, especially if you're teaching the same year group as well. And particularly when things get busy, um, mm-hmm. I think that's where creativity can fizzle out. Um, when things get busy, it's much easier to just deliver the same lesson that you have previously or, you know, find yeah. find a worksheet online and, you know, set set that as part of it or, you know, <clears throat> when, once you've taught for a little bit and you know how to plan a lesson in seven steps before the classroom, you know, you, yeah. you might be more tempted to not plan as well as you did when you, you first stepped into um, teaching. So you've got to go and watch people because it gives you that creative spark. Lovely. Really, really good answer, Tom. Ten points. <laughs> <laughs> um, so looking back on your teaching career, what's been your proudest moment that you've had in the classroom or outside of it? Um, I I was actually packing up my office um, <laughs> on the weekend um and I came across a letter and I don't keep many things um from kids mm-hmm. and I don't mean that as a bad thing but you know if you've been a teacher <laughs> you, you do pick up a lot of things but I keep a few things but they mean quite a lot and I had a student yeah. who gave me a really hard time I think it was probably in my second year of teaching um and I think he didn't feel that I was up to it um but he was going through a hard time in his life and I think that he wanted to do really really well at school and he it was in year 11 he just gave me such a hard time and he mm-hmm. you know just things where he was questioning how I taught something or questioning how um, I'd approach something or whether I'd covered off every outcome um you know, whether I gave enough notification on tasks and all sorts of things, like like little things. Um, wow. But as a new teacher, it really knocked my confidence. Um, yeah. And I remember asking people, how do I deal with this? And, you know, and there were some that were like, take it on head on and some saying, sit back, that's okay. Um, and I don't know how. I don't. I really don't remember how. But he came round um, and then really trusted me and he did really, really well. Um, and he wrote me this letter and I've kept it. Um, it's been through four offices now. Um, and I don't have many letters up there, but I've kept it. And I read it on the weekend. Um, and it was just so nice. Uh, and I kept, I think I, I remember keeping it because it was a good lesson to learn um, that I'd never resented him for how he felt, both for what was going on in his personal life and the fact that I was new and I was young and I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. Um, mm. But I was trying, uh, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, it, it all ended well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty proud moment because I think it would have been much easier to have had an argument or you know call the family yeah. in and say this isn't working, change to a different class. Um, but I was like, no, I'll show you. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, and I mean, he's really successful. I'm not taking any credit whatsoever in his future success. Uh, <laughs> But it is nice to watch someone really flourish uh, and think that you may have played a very small part in that. That's lovely. Have you kept in touch with him at all? Uh, I've got him on LinkedIn, um, mm-hmm. which 
is nice because I get to see him doing really, really well. Um, And there's there's a little flavour of biology in what he does, which is good. Oh, that's Um, amazing. Yeah, which is nice. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, not really, not really. I mean, it would be hilarious if he listened and thought, oh, maybe that's me. Um, but maybe <laughs> he realised, maybe he, what I like about it is that it may not have been life changing for him, but it was a pretty strong experience for me. Um, and, uh, and I think it was fairly, you know, it definitely formed my opinions of how yeah. to deal with students and that you have to kick that can down the road. You know, it would be so yeah. easy to just, every day get up in their face and you know get frustrated and and you just have to remember that they're kids and that they're not only learning about what you're teaching them they're learning about how to be better people or more like adults or more responsible or um and uh, and sometimes myself included I think we're too quick to forget that yeah yeah definitely well that's a really great segue into the next question I've got um speaking about being better people what's your latest classroom cock up well I I haven't I haven't done my latest but I thought when you when you mentioned that this might be a question my <laughs> classroom cock up I might answer that because please I, yes when I came to Kenros I um I had this awesome biology teacher myself um, in the UK called Mr Ridgeway and he used to do this thing where he was explaining cilia cilia are the hairs on the back of your throat um, and they're like microscopic and they waft and they pass mucus up and down your throat it's all disgusting um, and he did this impression and I still remember it from school and he stood <laughs> on the table and he got us all to wave our arms and he was pretending we were at a rock concert and like he was talking about being at Glastonbury and he was saying, hello, Glastonbury. And, um, you know, and we were all waving our arms and he was he was saying, now imagine I crowd surf and I'm like the mucus and you're passing me to the back of the classroom, right? And I've always copied this and taught it. So I'm at Kinross. I think I'm a week in, two weeks in, and I'm up on the table and I'm like, hello, Kinross. Well, only did I know I'm standing on a three-legged table. <gasps> oh, no. It starts moving and, you know, the like white in my eyes just gets wider and all the kids are looking at me like he's going to die. And I tried to jump to another table and I jumped on the corner of this table and it upended and I've just landed with the table leg in my back and I'm like on the floor and all the kids, it was deathly silent and I'm just lying there and then they all came over like, Sir, are you alive? And I'm like, No. <laughs> And I had the biggest bruise um, and I just lay on the floor laughing and we did nothing for the next half an hour because I was in so much pain. Um, And they still, the kids still, because we're in orange, so we still, you know, no kids I've taught and they've graduated now. And and they still laugh about when I fell off the table. And I was like, I could have killed myself. And I didn't want to tell anyone at school. I didn't want to tell anyone at school because, you know, like it was massive work health and safety then I shouldn't have yeah. been on the table. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. now whenever I do that demonstration, I always make sure the table has four legs. <laughs> Honestly, I spent 10 years in the classroom telling kids not to rock back on their chairs because of that one kid that did it and split his head open and there's you standing on a three-legged table. Yeah, and I tried to jump. It was like leaping between a gap and I thought I'd made it and ended up. <laughs> 
upside down. Wow. Very silly. Wow. What a hero. (laughs) There's definitely a a lesson that they're not going to forget in a hurry. So, yeah. Yeah, in humility. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Well, this leads great into our next question. What feels illegal but isn't in schools? Um, I I, I have a real issue with, like, weekend emails. Um, but I feel like, yes. but I feel like it's almost the other way to the way your question is. Like everyone thinks that it's okay, and I really don't think that it's okay. Like you have to switch off, and everyone's like, yeah. "Well, you can choose when you check them," and I'm like, "Well, I can, but also you don't need to send them there. Like, yeah. what, what? Why are you not giving yourself some time off?" Um, so yeah, I just I feel like that people see that as legal and I think it should be illegal. Like I think it would be yeah. great if the teaching procession said, no, nope, not allowed to do that. Um, or delayed function, you know, what they like in France, I think that they do that. The server doesn't actually pass them through. Because um, I really struggle. Like once I've read an email, and this is really benign, like if I've read an email, I, um, I want to action it or I'm thinking about it um, mm. and that, that gets in my headspace. So, because if you were a teacher 35 years ago, there's no email. Imagine that. No. I know you've got to handwrite your reports, so there are some, <laughs> other, there are some other downsides. Um, but email must have changed the job so much. And there's no way mm. that, like, your time in the day has been increased that much to deal with the email volume. So as teachers, we've got to do a better job of not passing it around to each other. Mm. Anyway, yeah. my personal my personal frustration. No, I completely agree with you. I read a, a Facebook post on one of my teaching groups literally this morning about exactly this. And there's you know, there's the same um the same comments that we've just gone through there, like, well, don't read them, um, just ignore it, switch your notifications off, blah, blah, blah. But you're right, when you're a teacher and you're used to seeing all of those notifications and you're used to checking your email because it might be about a kid and there might be something you can do to better their education, that you can't not look at it. Well, and when we go back to what we were talking about before, the time that is required or the headspace or the energy to be genuinely creative and teach really good lessons, I think, um, you know, you, you need that. It's like... Yeah, I'm in a corp. People who work in the corporate area must think the holidays are ridiculous. But it was also a time to really recharge your batteries and go again, and you know, yeah. put on excited face. And I'm teaching this for the twenty fifth time, but I'm still excited about watching you get it. Um, yeah. Or if you don't get it, oh, let me think about how I can help you understand. You know, where can I change my approach? Um, and and I think that requires people to be fresh and energised, and that that's why you shouldn't be marking all night like they do in the UK. Um, and um, I don't think you should be contactable twenty four hours a day because we're not a hospital. If it's an emergency, someone should call you. Absolutely. Anyway. No, I completely agree with you, and I think it's a really valid point. Um, as you're in well-being now, I'm interested to know what you think about what's been done about teacher well-being. Well, it's a difficult <laughs> topic 
um, because one of my other bugbears, um, and I was having a think about, um, you know, when you you talked to me previously when we were thinking about the um, podcast about things that you want less of, and one of the things yes. I would want less of is teacher whinging, um, because yeah, the flip side to yes, we should respect people to be able to have some downtime is that we get a lot of holidays. Um, and teachers do tend to say, you know, oh, yeah, I'm teaching all those holidays. Um, you know, I'm working constantly, um, mm-hmm. and I just think that you're doing it wrong if you're doing that. Um, yeah, you've got to stage it out. You've got to take those and, and, and respect the sanctity of, of those um, so that you can recharge. And I do struggle with some of the teacher whinging. I, that's not myself included. You, we haven't often done other jobs. Um, and therefore you haven't necessarily seen the hours that other people have to pull um, or the pressures that's placed on them or, yeah, I think teachers in Australia, the pay scheme, I think is pretty good to start off with. Yes, it plateaus out, um, but I think it's pretty competitive and and so I'm, I suppose I'm building the argument on one side. I think we've got to see it for its benefits. You know, there's not a lot of... Um, full-time permanent staff that would have been dramatically affected by um, full-time permanent teaching staff that have been dramatically affected by the pandemic. And you flip that to small businesses and people who are their own business owners, Mm. um, they definitely could have been dramatically affected. Um, And so there's got to be a realisation from teaching staff that there are many benefits. But I will say that the job I think has increased exponentially um, over the last. Oh, you know, you you add in um, reporting um, and what yeah. the requirements for reporting are now. You add in that we are much better at about talking um, about how we feel and our emotions, and we're better, not perfect, but we're better at help seeking behaviours, and so. There is a lot more intervention um, with students about what they're going through um, mm-hmm. and how we can assist. Um, there is a great deal more parental expectation from school um, and what teachers can do for their children. Um, and then there is a lot more rigmarole around accreditation, um, how um, you demonstrate learning in your classroom, how your professional learning continues over your career. And then you add in email on the top of that. And not just mm. email now, since the pandemic, I think a lot of schools have picked up other messaging platforms that allow more direct messaging. So, yes, there is a huge requirement put on teachers, um, and that's very difficult. But I think often teacher wellbeing um, is talked about in terms of what can the school do for me, and I would say it's an equal partnership. What can the staff member do for themselves? Um, and then how is the school making sure that they're constantly feeling the temperature of their staff and the climate in which they're working and making sure that they're making um, meaningful um, actions whereby, you know, it's not, it's not for me um, coffee on a, on a Friday and morning tea. Yes, that's nice to do every now and then, and I think it is really well received when you make gestures like that, but also yeah. we have a really strong email policy that backs up that you need to take a weekend for yourself. Um, yeah, and then not just how service to it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and then how are the senior staff modelling that? 
Um, that to me is um, yeah, staff well-being, and the same for kids. Yeah, being head of student well-being, you should, you'd be amazed at how many things get spoken about because it's well-being. Because well-being is a ubiquitous term; it really applies to almost everything. And so, yeah. often things become a well-being issue. Um, and mental health—it's part of well-being. But well-being is that notion of like flourishing, of being your best version of yourself, making a meaningful contribution. If you apply that to teaching staff. Yes, you know, it's going to be tough. You're being paid for it. It's work. It's not leisure, but it shouldn't be unsustainable. Uh, and that's the balance I think that schools need to find um, is making sure that staff are productive, they feel well supported, they're pushed, they're stretched, but it's not unsustainable um, and it keeps them in the profession and they enjoy it. Uh, and then hopefully you can also, you know, get more staff in the common room that knock down a few of those naysayers you know who like to sit there and say god it's too hard um and say hey you know it's hard but you're going to go home you're going to go to your family we're being paid we live in a great country you know there's a lot of things to be positive about absolutely lovely couldn't agree with you more i really like that all right the last question that we always ask every guest on this podcast is what would you change if you have if you were voted Minister of Education tomorrow? I loved when I saw this question. I was like rolling my sleeves up, like yes, not that Brilliant. I would want, but I was looking at it, going yes. Um, and then I was like, I wonder who would listen to the podcast. Like, how radical can you be? Um, oh, just say what you like. Everyone's going to listen to it. No apologies made. Go for it. So um, first and foremost, uh, I would get rid of ranking. I think that ranking went out with the dark ages. There are kids who will always be ranked bottom. Why would we tell them? Why would we show them? You know, it really doesn't matter. Someone has to be top, someone has to be bottom. They'll be top at something else and they'll be bottom at something else. Um, so I really don't understand ranking. I think that it should just be based on your own ability and I don't believe that we have to have ranking to then work out which course that kids should go into because, A, courses shouldn't be the destination for every kid out of education um, and, B, as if those courses can't find alternative ways to pick the best candidates and we know that the kid that gets 99.9 doesn't necessarily have great bedside manner um, yeah. or doesn't make the most endearing lawyer or, you know, insert other professions here that have really high ATARs. Um, so I'd get rid of ranking and I would make every student do six months compulsory work experience um, in a variety. Oh, great of idea. Uh, and I would make every teacher do a year of reasonably paid internship in a variety of educational settings so mm. rather than you know so dip ed is two years one year can be at university and then you have to spend a whole year on the job learning from different people um and then i might as well work out a pay structure to reward people that remain in the classroom because i think sometimes because the pay plateaus that people choose to take on leadership positions and I don't know that there's necessarily a really strong correlation between excellent teachers and excellent leaders, um, going both ways. You know, yeah. excellent leaders don't necessarily make excellent teachers, excellent teachers don't necessarily make excellent leaders and people shouldn't come out of the classroom to, ch to chase more money um, or, or to be, you know, 
to feel that that's something that they'd like to do when actually we need to keep those awesome teachers in the classroom or mentoring new teachers. Yeah. Wow. Take a breath. That was amazing. I definitely had a good think about it. I was like, that's a great question. We should be asking that more. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was a great answer. Congratulations. That is awesome. Another 10 points. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tom Riley, you have been an absolute bloody delight to have on the podcast. Thank you so, so much. Well, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. The questions are a little bit different. And, uh, you know, it's been really refreshing to talk about teaching and I'll be interested if anyone comments on my answers and happy to defend them or to, uh, to, to to have a rethink. No, I love it. No, that was really awesome. Thanks, Tom. That was amazing. No, no worries, Katie. My pleasure. And uh, thanks for having me. And yeah, great that we got to catch up again. What a way to kick off that new year. Thank you so much, Tom. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely going to be starting the hashtag Vote Riley for new education minister based on those ideas. <laughs> don't forget to subscribe, rate and review and come and join me over on Instagram at Cole Coffee No Glue Sticks. Come and join me next time where I'll have another amazing teacher guest for you. See you then.